All nature seemed to hide for three hours as the dreadful judgment against its creator fell from God the Father. And Jesus Christ cried out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the anguish of God, the man who utters the same question we utter, which is why. And all creation seemed to join in and agonize with him. An earthquake shook the planet and rocks split open as if they ripped apart in pain. As Jesus Christ hung on the cross and was forsaken by the Father, the day turned to night. Even though it was noon, everything went completely dark. There were times when God caused the sun to stand still and times when God withheld the rain. You see, God has absolute control over all of nature. Today, Stephen will take you to Job 38, where God asks Job a series of questions. They're designed to teach Job an important lesson. And as you listen in on this conversation, you'll be challenged regarding your perceptions of God. Stephen called this lesson, Lord of All the Weather. Our history has its roots in the hands of God, and our future has its hope in the hands of God. God, as he begins speaking to Job, as we've launched into this particular study here in chapter 38, he continues to reveal his creative mastery over the universe he created by asking Job unanswerable questions one after another, 77 of them in fact. Look at verse 18 where we left off. Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know this. In other words, Job, do you know the measurements of planet earth? He didn't. Of course, we do. We have approximately 57 million square miles of landmass. We have about 134 million miles of water surface. Uh, the equatorial circumference of planet Earth is, is 24,902 miles long. I looked all that up, trust me. The point God is making is not that these questions are unanswerable by Job and now we can answer them, some of them. And what God is doing is bringing Job to the obvious recognition that not only does he not understand all of God's creative handiwork, he cannot control what little he understands, but God does. He and we cannot control the weather as he is going to reveal all sorts of weather conditions in these next few verses. Anybody in here able to control the rain? Anybody here time the frost? Anybody here able to bring snow? Could you bring snow on the 24th of December? That'd be great. Can you make it melt by the next Monday? That'd be even better. Anybody? No, of course not. The only person to control the weather by his own power was Christ 
who walked on top of the raging water and then allowed Peter momentarily to do the same, perhaps pulling back a curtain on what it will be like in our glorified state. He then speaks to the raging storm and he tells it to be quiet. And immediately the waves level out. Immediately the wind becomes calm. Text indicates just immediately. Of course, the disciples were left to wonder in fear and awe over Christ's power. What God will do in these verses, most of the remaining verses that we'll cover in chapter 38, is reveal his creation of origins and systems and and history, but reveal along with that his control over the present conditions of even the weather. And he begins with light and darkness in verse 19. Job, where's the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place that you may lead it to its territory, that you may discern the paths to its home? You were born way back then, weren't you? The number of your days has been long enough for you to see and know. Of course, he wouldn't know. But God here begins with light. One author wrote, These interesting words, perhaps nothing in all of physics is more fascinating or more mysterious than this one thing we call light. Light is the single most important source of energy and heat on earth. Without light, life on earth would be impossible for very long. Virtually all the earthly mechanisms we depend on for the transfers of energy are derived ultimately from light, wind, The water cycle, even the ocean waves would all cease if the earth were to remain in utter darkness for very long. The earth would quickly turn cold and all life would cease. How did this amazing thing called light come to be? The Bible says, God, in Isaiah 45 verse 7, God says, I form the light. I create darkness. I want you to notice a rather futuristic statement. Certainly much of this Job wouldn't understand, and science has been catching up in some ways to this text. It certainly hasn't caught all the way up. But look at verse 24. Job would never have imagined the meaning behind this. Where is the way that the light is divided? What do you mean, the division of light? We now know the different colors of light are simply varying wavelengths of light in the spectrum. It was Isaac Newton in 1665 that discovered that the prism wasn't necessarily coloring the light. It was, it was dividing the light into its varying wavelengths. The prism would separate the colors of light because as the light passed through the prism, its direction was bent and differing, differing color waves moving at differing speeds came out of the prism, separated into a visible and wonderful display. And this is just the beginning of what God could mean in other texts. Think of what David said in Psalm chapter 65, verse 8, where he said, You make the dawn and the sunset sing for joy. Now, we would normally take this as simple poetic personification. The dawn and the sunset are visual. They aren't audible, or are they? It's interesting in light of scientific discovery Light and heat and sound are vibrations, both wave and particle. It's possible 
though not confirmed yet, that the mere existence of color may have a musical harmony which we have yet to hear. Wouldn't it be fascinating to discover one day and hear it for the first time, this symphony of light that is all around us? Job, you have no idea of this element of light, and certainly we are just learning a little bit here and there. God moves on to mention forms of water varied by weather conditions. Look at verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for the time of distress? Hail is often used as judgment. God could have been referring to the coming plague in Exodus chapter 9, where he sent hail to fall upon the land and devastate the land of Egypt. Perhaps this could be a reference to the coming judgment in Joshua chapter 10 verse 11 where God protected his people from the invading armies by sending hail to fall on them and kill many of them. Perhaps it's a reference to the climactic judgment of God on this planet during the tribulation period in Revelation 16 where John writes that huge hailstones, and I quote, about 100 pounds each came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Revelation 16, verse 21. We don't know, but what God is saying is the storehouse of snow and hail is nothing less than the hand of God. The creation of water and his marvelous uh, adaptations that he has created throughout with his laws that govern the universe and behind those laws, he, the primary cause. Without water, without light, we wouldn't live. In fact, we wouldn't exist. I found one scientist who said these interesting words about water. He said the human body has been called a water machine designed primarily to run on water and minerals. Listen to this. In just the last 10 years, this is a current article written in this year, just in the last 10 years, Medical science has begun to focus more on the healing abilities of our body and its relationship to water. And why not? The human body is made up of over 70% water. Our blood is more than 80% water. Our brain is more than 75% water. They have discovered that the function of every cell in our body is controlled by electrical signals sent through our nervous system from the brain. Listen, our nerves in reality are an elaborate system of tiny waterways. Job, do you understand water in all its varied forms and wherever it shows up? No. How about snow? Where cold temperatures turn its molecules into crystals that are magnificent. Have you ever seen pictures of snowflakes? magnified the symmetry and the brilliant designs of each snowflake is a marvel. Why not just make them all look alike? Because God is so creative. That's why. What did Job understand when he said of water in chapter 28 that God made the weight of the wind? Wind doesn't have weight. Well, we know today, in fact, we have an entire science of water known as hydrology, which studies the occurrence and behavior of water, we now know that the global weight of air, and it must be with water in critical relationship to each other in order to maintain life on earth. In fact, I read this, if, if the weights of either air or water 
on and around this planet were much different than they are, life would cease as we know it. This passage where Job talks about the weight of the air informs us that air and wind have weight, even though he had no idea. We know it today. In fact, it would be confirmed some 4,000 years after Job wrote those words. And now, the study of air and its weight has developed into a science we now know as aerodynamics. It provides the foundation for aerospace and so many things. God asks Job in chapter 38, look at verse 28, does the rain have a father? Who has begotten the drops of dew? Look back up at verse 26. Who brings rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Uh, Job, do you understand the weight of air and how it eventually has so much water in it that it rains? He might have known certain things, and we're learning, in fact, all the time. Where does rain come from? We know that water is converted by solar energy into into vapor, which is lighter than air, and so it rises and then condenses around little particles of, of dirt or dust and salt. I have learned that those who study this aren't exactly sure how, but water droplets bind with other water droplets to form large drops, which eventually become so large and heavy that they fall as either rain or hail or snow, depending on the temperature. Look at what God says to Job in verse 37. Who can count the clouds by wisdom? In other words, if the weight has to be perfectly balanced, God would know even the number of clouds. Read on. Who tips the water jars of the heavens? Look at this. When the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together. He's describing the making of rain. He's delivering truth. It's going to take centuries for us to discover. There's more mystery, however, in rain than we even understand today. One scientist asked this. A believing scientist said this. What causes those small droplets to join with other droplets and become large enough to fall? Some clouds fall, or literally rain. Others grow dark and turbulent and heavy, but they don't produce rain. Job gives the answer, which only the believer will appreciate. In fact, in Job chapter 28, verse 26, he says it this way, God made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. And there's a clue in there that now we can read about. In other words, God makes it rain by the use of lightning. Henry Morris writes this, with the right combination of air turbulence and clouds. And I'm so sorry I'm going to have to read all this because I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. So I've got to read all these wonderful quotes by these scientists. Follow this. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. With the right combination of air turbulence and clouds, complex forces generate an electrical field that produces lightning discharges. And these violent electrical currents in an energy exchange we do not yet fully understand, listen, causes 
the small water droplets to bind with others to form larger drops that then become too heavy to remain in the clouds but fall. Lightning plays a role. Now, now listen to this. God said this centuries ago to Job. In fact, you can look back at verse 25 and in chapter 38. Again, who has cleft a channel for the flood or a way for the thunderbolt, literally the lightning of thunder, note this, to cause it to rain. Job, the order of my handiwork that you don't fully understand, and you know what? In the 21st century, we don't fully understand it, but I'm telling you what's going on here. That water moves from vapor, lightning affects it, forms droplets, and we get rain, and all we can do is basically study what God has decreed. I love the way the message paraphrases this particular paragraph. Job, have you ever traveled to where snow is made? Have you seen the vault where hail is stockpiled? The arsenals of hail and snow that I keep in readiness for times of trouble and battle and war. Can you find your way to where lightning is launched to the place which the wind blows? Who do you suppose carves canyons out for the runoff of rain and charts the route of thunderstorms? It brings water to unvisited fields, deserts no one ever lays eyes on, drenching the useless wastelands so they're carpeted with wildflowers and grass. Who do you think is the the father of rain and dew, ice and frost? You don't for a minute imagine these marvels of weather just happen, do you? The theme of this display was intended to reveal to Job that God not only created everything in its marvelous ways and systems, but he controls everything. He has established the laws of hydrology, which water the earth and make life possible, which means he has timed in his providence our own little drought. He knows the levels of water, how much will come, And when it will. David McKenna, the former president of Asbury Theological Seminary, recalled in his commentary on Job, a television show he was watching where a panel of economists were answering questions from the moderator. And the last question that came in that they answered was this one What is the greatest influence over world economies? The economists responded unanimously, the weather, which was a surprising answer. But they knew. In fact, he goes on to say, after all our efforts to manage money and stock markets in order to control the economy, the honest confession of these experts is that the weather, which happens to be a factor completely out of human control, determines bull markets and bear markets, prosperity and depression, deficits and surpluses. Imagine that. The weather, this marvelous engine created by God, which brings both blessing and sorrow, joy and suffering, increase and loss, all of it fulfills the plan and purposes of God. But just as we cannot understand the lightning We don't understand the hand behind the lightning. 
And this was part of the point. And let me say it again. It was, it, it was not irony that God would come to this grieving, suffering man and speak out of a whirlwind and make references to lightning. It was lightning that killed all his sheep and his employees. It was a whirlwind that, that toppled the house and killed his ten children. Do you think Job picked up on this? Absolutely. But by being given revelation about God's creation and control of nature, Job was brought to a deeper level of trust in God's nature. The leper came to Jesus Christ, and he was riddled with that fatal disease, ostracized, and he said those wonderful words of faith, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, just say it. And Jesus Christ said, I'm willing. And the man was clean. Luke chapter 5, the creator stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came back to life. He spoke and his command reveals his control over life itself. The creator of life hung on a cross, this final sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. First John 2, 2, he, he hung there and at noon, the scriptures record, the sky went dark. The light of the sun was obscured. The text indicates it's as, if, it's as if it disappeared, as if a curtain had been drawn in front of it, no longer visible. All nature seemed to hide for three hours as the dreadful judgment against its creator fell from God the Father. And Jesus Christ cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the anguish of God, the man who utters the same question we utter, which is why. And all creation seemed to join in and agonize with him. An earthquake shook the planet and rocks literally split open as if they ripped apart in pain. And when he cried, it is finished and died. It's interesting to me, the skies grew bright again around three o'clock in the afternoon after his death. The clouds and or the darkness lifted. The wrath of God was satisfied, demonstrated even in the visual effects of of nature, it's as if then at three o'clock nature could come out of hiding and lift its head and rejoice that the debt of sin had been paid in full. One more visual demonstration. Look at verse 31. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can, can you lead forth a constellation in its season? Guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, the way I've created it to work, as they fix their rule over the earth? Can, can you figure that out, Job? I want you to look beyond the atmosphere. I want you to look beyond the snow and the hail and the rain and the clouds and, and the wind. And I want you to just keep looking out and looking up. Do you understand what little you know about the universe? 
and the constellations? What do you know about Pleiades and Orion? Today, and maybe then, we're not sure how much you knew, but Pleiades would be the constellation that belongs to the spring and Orion the winter. Some believe that God is asking Job effectively, can you change the seasons? Can you manipulate the weather? Can you bring on spring? Can you delay winter? Do you have that power? And of course, Job would answer no. What's fascinating, though, is these descriptive phrases. While the Bible is not a handbook on astronomy, whenever it speaks to the, to the subject, it speaks without error and with precision. Consider this fact, several facts. Consider the fact that the ancients believed that the moon was larger than the sun. What of these ordinances in the heavens? What do you know about the sun? That's big. Can you imagine that? But there is another constellation I read about which includes the star Epsilon, which is 27 billion times bigger than the sun. 27 billion times? And what are the comparison between the earth and sun? If the sun were a basketball, the earth would be the size of the head of a pin. Just a speck. David said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, this is just finger work, just the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you would take thought of us? It's the amazing thing. Teddy Roosevelt, I read, used to take guests that visited the White House out on the White House lawn. Sometimes he'd have them lie down, look up at the stars. You ever done that? Not at the White House lawn, but in your own lawn. You ever done that? Just lay down and just look up. The longer you look, the, the more you see. Well, he would do that. He'd have his, his guests lay down on the White House lawn and look, just stare. And after a while, he'd get up and he'd brush himself off and he'd say, well, I believe we're small enough. Let's retire to bed. Now, the one who breathed the stars and planets into being by the word of his mouth, Psalm 33, this transcendent Lord of the universe condescended to become a human being, robed himself in flesh, fully man yet fully God. He came to our little blue speck. Having taken on flesh now, we can and will see him and worship him and serve him and reign with him as his redeemed bride for he will soon have us with him inhabiting the new heavens and the new earth dwelling in the holy city reigning listen with him over the universe that's who we are that's where we've come from him and that's where we're going and we do matter to him. It's easy to think that we're insignificant when we consider the scope of the universe. But as Stephen just reminded us, we do matter to God. You know, the way that we can know for certain that our standing with God is secure is by our response to the gospel. 
And Stephen has a resource that will help you understand the message of the gospel. Visit wisdomonline.org forward slash gospel. Be sure and access that resource called God's Wisdom for Your Heart. Then join us next time on Wisdom for the Heart. Wisdom for the Heart.